happy. Uh, over the last 15 years, Linda and I have dedicated ourselves to discovering the principles that make marriage work. Uh, some of what we've learned has been the result of our own successes. Um, I'd like to think that we've done a pretty good job in some particular areas. I think we've done a pretty good job as parents. We're proud of our kids and love our grandkids. But we also want to share our failures and mistakes that we've made so that you don't have to make some of those same mistakes. We've read hundreds of books, uh, studied the research of Dr. John Gottman as well. Uh, I'm trained with the Gottman Institute uh, process, and um, so I've learned a lot from John Gottman's 30-plus years of research that he's done on couples, and, and there's a lot to be gleaned from that research. Uh, Gottman identifies those with a high marital IQ as the masters, and those with a low marital IQ as the disasters, okay? So our goal is to uh, help you have a marriage that we could identify as the masters. So uh, we're going to teach you some things. We're going to share some things with you. Uh, we don't want your marriage to just survive. And disasters, that's kind of how they're identified. Disasters may make it but they'll be chronically unhappy. Uh, it's not okay for any of you that are part of Grace Crossing Church to be chronically unhappy in your marriage. We certainly don't want your marriage to fail, but we don't want your marriage to be unhappy either. Not that, our, not that the goal of marriage is happiness. I believe in Gary Thomas's book, uh, Sacred Marriage, he says that marriage is designed for holiness more than happiness. But I also believe that in holiness, we find true happiness. So our goal is to really help you discover that kind of wholeness, ho holiness, and happiness. Uh, we're going to focus on one particular principle tonight. And that, uh, that principle that we're going to focus on, we've identified, it's one of our four pillars of true intimacy. Uh, Linda and I have been teaching marriage seminars and conferences for the last 15 years, and we designed a, a, a philosophy of how marriage works based on four primary things. It's even the primary uh, principles that we function in our lives, our ministry, and everything else. But the first one of those is, is what we refer to as awareness. Awareness is what we call the first pillar of the of true intimacy, but it's the focus that we're going to have for tonight. We're going to we're going to share some principles, some aspects, some vantage points on what we mean when we talk about awareness. When we talk about awareness, what do we mean? Uh, is it just paying attention? Well, yeah, to some degree, but it's much more than just paying attention to that which is going on around you. Uh, Awareness is also could be referred to as your marital IQ. And you heard what we said John Gottman refers to. If you've got a high marital IQ, if you have a high level of awareness in your relationship, you're going to be a master. If you have a low marital IQ, a low level of awareness in your marriage, you're going to be a disaster. So awareness involves several functions if you're going to operate at the level of a master in your marriage. And we all know awareness takes work. Can you hear me? 
Okay, awareness takes work because we tend to be self-centered. We're sinners, we're human beings. We were born that way. We each tend to be self-centered and oftentimes we're in a relationship thinking about ourselves and what this relationship can get for me and how I can get more happiness or feel better. So knowing that awareness takes work, we're fighting against that sin nature, the selfishness, the self-centered heart that we have to think of the other person. It's not only thinking of our spouse, but it's getting to know them. Mm -hmm. We can be married decades, and there's still lots that we can learn about each other. I remember discovering this about, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, I had read a book, and it wasn't even about marriage. It was just one of those self-help books. And one of the questions it asked of the readers was, uh, what one word describes your childhood? And I pondered that and thought about that for a while. And we happened to be on a little getaway and when I was reading that. And so that evening when we were in the jacuzzi, I just... Booyah. (laughs) 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 I just casually um, asked him that question, not realizing what a window into who he was that would open up. Um, You know what? Let's just take a minute. Let's just take a minute right now and turn to your spouse and ask each other that, or answer that question to each other. What one word to you would describe your childhood? Okay, as you can see, for some of you, that could lead into quite a conversation. For some of you, it might not be news. For Tim and I, I just didn't realize ours were so, so opposite because we had been raised in Christian homes, so I just thought ours would be very similar. And Tim, what did you say when I asked you what one word describes your childhood? It was adventurous. Uh, my childhood, I mean, I had the reign of the world as far as I was concerned. I felt like I could go anywhere. I mean, we jumped on trains, rode them for miles, walked back to the house. I mean, we did crazy stuff. And my life as a kid was, was adventurous, and that was right here in Riverside. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the trains that went right through, right across Airway Road was the one uh, by, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nope, didn't do that. I threw rocks at the back door of a department store to make the manager mad, but uh, other than that. Okay, so all those kind of things that he's talking about tells you a little bit about him. Even though I knew he was a fun person, that's what attracted me to him. Number two, first was handsome, but Uh, after that uh, was... And I say again, booyah! (laughs) But, um, (laughs) But we got to talking a lot about that. Um, Another word he used was fun, and that was so opposite to what my childhood word was. And that had to do with my personality, not just my home, but my total bent. And mine was unequivocally nervous. Fear. That's just, that's, that summed up Linda as a child. And because of that, decisions, choices are made. It kind of forms your childhood into school, and you can, you can see how just that one little thing, it can open up a lot to know about each other. So these are the kind of questions, these are the kind of conversations that we're going to encourage you to have not only tonight, but 
um, in the weeks ahead and years ahead. Um, I think of that, Stephen, the sh that story that Stephen Covey shares in one of his books. Most of you have probably heard it, but I'm going to share it again because yeah, it fits not. with tonight. Um, he talks about how he was on a train, a city train, after work, had a newspaper, was just kind of unwinding, trying to you know, calm down from the biz busy day, business day he'd had. And a group of people got on the train that were unaware to the quietness that had been on the train before they were there. It was a gentleman and four little children. And they were wild. They were running through that whole section of the train, just being totally not controlled at all. Screaming, yelling, actually grabbing some people's newspapers, laughing, just being hysterical. And the man, the father, that got on the train with him, them, was kind of oblivious to it. You know, I guess if that's how your kids are at home, you don't notice it when they're like that in public, I don't know. But he, he just kind of seemed to be sitting there kind of in a slump, um, just da in a daze, not really aware of what, what the kids were bothering anybody. And it went on for a while until Stephen Covey said, I kind of felt like I was going to speak up for the rest of the people, you know, that were, had been on the train before me. And I politely as I could approached the man and said, Sir, I wonder if you could notice your children are kind of being a little rowdy. Would you be able to quieten them down a little bit for the sake of the rest of us? And the man jolted out of his gaze and um, replied to Mr. Covey, said, Oh, I am so sorry. I am, I'm, oh, please excuse me. Just, we just came from the hospital where my wife and their mother passed away. And... I, I'm beside myself, and I think they don't know how to respond and to react. <laughs> so, yeah, I will take care of that. Stephen Covey shares how immediately, instantly, his perspective changed, his feelings changed, his understanding changed. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, how as we get to know our spouse better, get to know their childhood better, get to know the scripts that are being played in, in, their, in their minds, the things that they're bringing to the relationship, as we get to know that better, our heart can change too to the things that sometimes cause us a lot of stress, yep. just like it did for Mr. Covey. So tonight, just to give you an idea of what tonight's going to look like, um, also I want to start by saying there are lots of refreshments and lots of cold drinks over there. Please feel free up and, you know, it won't bother us. Get, get up and down throughout the whole evening and make yourself uh, take advantage of those because we do not want to take them home. <laughs> um, they are for you. Secondly, kind of the agenda for tonight so you can kind of sit back and know what's going to happen. Does anybody have two more chairs at their table? If not, we can totally make room at one table. Okay. Um, we're going to play a game. Most of us are going to observe the game. We're going to have four couples that are going to play the game. And after that, we, Tim and I are going to kind of do some team teaching on three different ways to have awareness. And during each of the different three ways, we'll do a little bit of role playing. And then we'll, after each one, we'll also have time for you to have a, what we call a couple huddle. It's when the two of you just, you know, find a quiet corner or whisper at your table, wherever you feel like you can have some privacy, and talk about a question that we propose to you. Um, and then at the end of the evening, we just have a little five-minute video that we want to show you. So on your tables, just so you kind of know and can take advantage of what's there, if you haven't already, there are two different printed sheets. 
One says couple huddle, and one says notes. So they're very self-explanatory. There's one for each of you. The huddles, paper you don't need right now. The notes, you're welcome to use. There's no hurt feelings if you don't use them. So whatever is best for you, we encourage you to um, jot down what makes, would make a difference, you think, for your relationship. Um, we're going to start out here. And we're going to do some teaching on this topic of awareness. The first aspect that we want to share with you about this topic of awareness, we want to teach you about tonight, is what we call appeals for connection. All right? So when we're talking about awareness, there's this aspect of being aware that we refer to as appeals for connection. These appeals can be insignificant, they can be indirect, or they can be obvious and intentional. These appeals for connection, we're gonna, one of the things Linda and I are going to do tonight, we're, we're going to do a teaching, a little teaching on each of these aspects, then we're going to do a role play. We're going to model that, what these aspects actually look and sound like, and then we're going to have you actually do some conversation on your own as a couple, which we refer to as the couple huddle. So all three of these aspects, we're going to do some teaching, we're going to do some modeling, and then we're going to have you do some investigation on your own. Whether it be insignificant and indirect or obvious and intentional, these appeals for connection are a call to action by the listener or the receiver. When I am making an appeal to Linda. I have two choices. Put a place for this in your notes. You have two choices. You have the first choice is to turn toward your spouse. I believe it, yes. Turn toward your spouse. And the second choice is to turn away. When your spouse makes an appeal for connection. You, knowing or unknowing, intentional or unintentionally, you are going to do one of those two things. You are either going to turn toward them or you're going to turn away. Turning toward engages them and shows your interest and support. Turning away, which turning away is it could be done looks like not responding or responding minimally, like continuing to do whatever you're doing, like watching TV or reading the newspaper. What it does is it expresses disinterest or, or really even worse in many cases. So when I'm turning toward, I'm showing interest and concern. When I'm turning away, which could be just no-braining it, which when it comes to intimacy, guys, no-braining it doesn't work very well very often. Now, I, I, I believe that as, as men, we do have that um, nothing box in our brain uh, where we, we, just, we go to that place and there are times that we just need to be in that box. But I'll tell you, when it comes to relationship, I can tell you that I have to be very intentional 
when I am with Linda. That is not my time to be in my nothing box. When I am with Linda, when Linda is in my peripheral, when she is in my presence, when I am in hers, I have to be intentional about turning toward her, about listening, paying attention, responding to even those little nuances that come from her desire to connect with me. So, in a controlled study, actually a study that John Gottman did, and I referred to him earlier, uh, he did incredible research with couples uh, out of the University of Washington in Seattle. And in one of his studies, couples who had divorced after a six-year follow-up had only responded correctly to those appeals for connection 33% of the time. Now, I, I want to I highlight that because some of you are thinking 33% of the time, that's pretty dang good. <laughs> and I'm here to warn you and tell you that in this very appropriate study, that the couples who only responded 33% of the time ended up in divorce. The couples who are still together after this six-year longitudinal study of these couples turned toward their spouses 87% of the time. That's nearly nine out of ten times there is a response to an appeal. Many think the secret to, re uh, to reconnecting with one's spouse is uh, a well-planned date night or a romantic weekend or a fantastic vacation to, Virgil, was that Florida? Mediterranean. No. Hawaii, yes. You can, you can see how profound that impact was. Uh, no, I'm just, I, I know I can pick on you, and so I, I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. Um, say what? Don't knock Florida. I'm not knocking Florida. I'm just comparing it with the Mediterranean. That's all. I, uh, so I, I think a lot of times we think that to reconnect or to connect with our spouse is going to take some really spectacular event. However, what we're wanting to teach you tonight about this aspect of awareness is that turning toward each other in the little ways, is the basis of emotional connection, romance, passion, and a good sex life. Turning toward one another in our even insignificant appeals for connection are what causes us to be intimate, to be into each other to have and experience oneness comes from this awareness that that other person is there. Can you, can you start watching? Yeah, just leave it on. When you start becoming aware of these things and find out what an appeal looks like, you'll realize we do them all day long. That's Pretty crazy. It is crazy. I, I, since I've become aware of this, Without even telling Linda, I paid attention to it, not because I thought she needed any correction on this, but I wanted to make sure that I was aware of, of these appeals that Linda made. I was 
amazed at two things. One, how many of those appeals for my connection there were, and I was proud of myself because I was surprised at how many of those appeals, and I'm hoping that I'm in the 87% range, uh, like the study expressed. Um, Turning away from your spouse may be unintentional, may be intentional, may be out of malice, or as I mentioned, out of pure mindlessness. Either way, however, will result in the partner feeling rejected and unloved. Realizing the importance of the little moments and paying more attention to them is enough to solve the problem in many cases. I'm telling you, uh, this one aspect of this principle of awareness, if I can make you more aware of it tonight, allow you to be more intentional about responding to those appeals, you will notice an immediate difference in the level of connectedness that you and your spouse have. I think it would be good for all of us to just uh, stop taking each other for granted and be aware of the moments that we're in each other's presence. So we're going to do a role play. We're going we're to show you uh, just a little snippet of our lives of how this could be bad or could be good. So we're going to show you both ways. We're going to show you the negative side of turning away, and we're going to show you the positive side of turning toward. Okay? And, Linda's going to set it And neither it one um, are huge by any means at all. And this is what I mean about they happen all the time, all day long, that you're together. So let's say I'm over here in the kitchen and, you know, Scraping the carrots because I'm such a good homemaker and I'm making a good soup. <laughs> and I'm busy peeling away. And I remember, and I just kind of yell in to Tim and said, Oh, um, Rachel texts today and she's been called in for that second interview. Hmm. He turned away. That was a huge turn away. He told me that what I had to talk about. Either he was too busy, he was too tired, it wasn't as important as what he was doing. So easy for us all to do that, especially at the end of a day when we're totally, you know, been inundated with people and everything all day long. So um, as I think back on our first 20 years, I, I kind of think that this was happening a lot for us. I think I, it was. I agree. I agree. Yeah, because I'm, I'm not a huge conversationalist but I'm more of one than Tim is. And so those little things, you'll see what happens if you respond properly. Okay, so here I am peeling. <laughs> okay, oh, and Tim, oh, sorry, Rachel texted today and said she got called in for that second interview. Really? No, th- no, let me make that more real. That, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, as soon, as soon as that really came out, it was like, come on, get real, Buttry. Really, Rachel called today? Oh, man, I wish I could have been there to have heard what the conversation was about. I mean, what, what happened with the interview? Him saying that much, I will, I know my heart, I will put down whatever I'm doing no matter what timetable because I want to connect. My heart longs for that. Um, 
and I'll come into the room where he is and sit down and start talking. And maybe that's sometimes why he doesn't want to turn. No, to <laughs> no, no. Uh, but let no. me let me clarify on this turning towards thing. <laughs> Linda does want to connect, and she does want to have conversations about stuff like that. But that is not the case ninety percent of the time. That 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 scenario is not what she's trying to get to have accomplished. And it's not necessarily what she has to have in every one of my turning toward. Because that would not only be unrealistic, it would give you the wrong understanding of what it is that this turning toward is about. Turning toward is an emotional response, an emotional connection that says, I'm listening to you. When your voice is speaking, my ears hear it. Linda, Linda could have been at the kitchen and could have done something as simple as this. Wow, look at that beautiful blue jay out there. That would be for me a call for attention. Not that I had to go out there and talk about blue jays, but I would have, I, and I know this to be a fact, this is true, I would have said, don't you love summertime? And I love it out there. And going back to what I was doing. That would have been a turning toward Linda. These things happen all the time that you're together. And we want you to be aware of them. We want you to realize you have a choice. And if you want to have closeness and oneness and intimacy, this is one simple way that you can connect with your spouse and let them know they have value, they're important, that you care, that you're listening, and it doesn't have to end in long, detailed conversations. It, these things happen in increments all day long. And I'll just share this, too, out of vulnerability, that if those appeals, um, you're aware of them, and you like intentionally do not want to respond, there's obviously something in your heart that you need to go before the Lord and just, you know, ask God, what is it? What's going on in my heart? I can honestly say there were times, um, many times, and, and this is after our restoration even. I mean, like I said, I'm still learning. But um, I'm, you know, kind of like a focus-driven person. And Tim is able to take life differently, and that's, I respect that. I, I mean, I guess I do now. I, I didn't. On, in all honestly, I, honesty, I didn't respect that. And so if, let's say we were in the car headed to Cincinnati, so we have a, an hour's drive, and we knew we had this event coming up Friday night, and I felt like we hadn't really discussed it enough and we needed to talk about it more. So I would just venture there to say, you know, okay, so are you sure we don't need to get four couples for the, the game? You think we're going to, you know, and I'd want to, you know, talk about it. And now he's patient and he'll say, hun, you know, I think it's going to be fine, just just enjoy the day, enjoy the day, you know, so that's his nice way of telling me, you know, and if I don't pick up on it, or let's say I did pick up it, and I quit talking about that, and then the next thing he would say, and this is literally, this happens often, because he does notice the sky, and the clouds, and nature, and he'll just say, you know, isn't it, isn't the sky beautiful, those clouds, they, that just amazes me, and there were times in my heart that I would just, I'd go, hmm, and I'd be thinking, hey, wh what good is it doing to look at the clouds? We've got an event Friday night. And just really resent. 
mean, it sounds <laughs> funny, but what the it's problem so is, true. it is true. That's what I mean. This wasn't in our notes, so. Uh. But see, it's this, that's that little thing that's in your heart, and and you have to examine. You have to be willing. We each have to be willing to examine that and go before the Lord and ask Him to break us of that. And if we need to, to confess it to ourselves to help us draw close to each other, because that's how we learn each other. He needed to know I thought that. I need to let him know. It brings you closer, and you have to um, repent when there's a sin, but also that those things draw you closer as you're more honest with each other. So a little bit of vulnerability. So if you struggle with that. One of the things I'm wondering is uh, I, I'm hearing a question that I'm thinking some of you might be asking. What if you were actually engaged in something? Perhaps you were at your computer doing something that you were following up with from work and your spouse says something to you that expect that you, that you realize they were expecting something from you and you didn't have the focus to go where they were asking what do you do then you tell them that you want to hear what they're saying but you're you're focused on this right now uh, I'll, I'll be I'll, I'll be finished in just a couple minutes there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with being able to be honest about okay I'm in the middle of this I don't want to just ignore you. I don't want to just give you some little quip answer so that you stop talking. But I, I want you to know that it matters. But uh, I, I am focused right now. So I don't know if that ever happens to anyone. But being honest is the best way to, to handle that. But being honest in a caring, gracious way. It's like, if you want me to respond to that right now, hon, I, I, just so you know, I'm right in the middle of this. I, I, let me finish these couple sentences and I'll be right in. So at least you let them know that what they're doing, what they're saying is important, but they interrupted your thinking and you want to be able to finish what you were doing first as well. That, that's a, a situation that I think might have some relevance. Okay, now we want to take a few minutes for you to have time together. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, pick up that question, the couple paper huddle. that says couple huddle. And number one, this is huddle number one. And we want you to discuss it where you feel like you have some privacy, okay? So if you want to move around, feel free to do that. Um, how well do you feel we are doing in responding to each other this way? And can you think of an example this week? Now, this is, this is going to take a lot of courage, this, this, it's going to take courage to ask each other, can you think of an example this last week to illustrate how I could have turned toward you better? So be prepared to hear what that answer might be. Um, go ahead and take five minutes. Five minutes.